I'm Pastor Paul, lead pastor here at Four Oaks Killarn on this Father's Day morning and invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're journeying through Matthew's gospel. We find ourselves right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you haven't been with us, or maybe you've been with us intermittently, you can sort of boil down what Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount thus far to, to this. It's, it's a very simple equation. He says, do you want to be happy? Do you want to flourish? Do you want to have true joy down in the depths of your heart, regardless of what's happening around you? And I think so far all of us could say, yes, Pastor Paul, that sounds really good. Jesus says, simply do this, pursue righteousness. And you may say, thanks, Pastor Paul, that was super helpful. Happy Father's Day. Well, as we've seen, when we talk about pursuing righteousness, we're not talking about earning our salvation. We're not talking about accruing goodwill chips before God and presenting it to him, and maybe he'll, he'll like us or love us if we do. We're not, we're not talking about perfection. We're not even talking about being good girls and boys and establishing some sort of moral code and ethic. Remember, in Jesus' words, the Sermon on the Mount, righteousness means wholeheartedness. It means that, that as we grow in grace, who we say we are and who we really are inside come closer and closer. They, they begin to converge more and more. And one of Jesus' chief complaints against the scribes and Pharisees is not that they weren't doing the right things. It's that they were doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And Jesus says, so much of what troubles your soul troubles my soul is when we are spiritual schizophrenics, when, when we are on two um, divergent paths as it relates to our outward actions and who we truly are on the inside. And so Jesus says, if you want to flourish, if you want to be happy, align your lives with me. Um, grow in wholehearted obedience to me. And we've entered that part of the sermon where Jesus now wants to go from preaching to meddling. And he wants to get down into the nitty-gritty of our lives. And he wants, to, wants us to understand what does wholeheartedness, righteousness mean when it comes to areas like money, which we talked about last week, or possessions, or relationships, or attitudes, or our subject this morning, everyone's favorite, anxiety. Now, it's not an overstatement, I don't believe, to say that on the hills of the COVID pandemic, we are experiencing a second pandemic, and it's, um, and it's really the epidemic of anxiety. You know, interestingly, in 1980, the survey said this, that 4% of all Americans suffered a mental health disorder related to anxiety. 4%. You know what that number is today? About half. A tenfold increase over the last generation. And of course, this predates COVID. COVID only accelerated what was already happening but let me just say, the purpose of this sermon really primarily is not to try to answer the why question. Why are we so anxious as a people? Because after all, I don't ask you, are you anxious? Oh, you are, right? It's, it's, it's about what are you anxious 
about, there could be a lot of answers to that, right? The loss of the transcendental and divine. Like Francis Schaeffer said, when you take God out of the equation, you have both feet planted firmly in midair. Certainly that could be a part of it. Certainly the fact that generations now are growing up with a screen right in front of their face. And you can know instantaneously not only what is wrong with your life, but what is wrong with their life, his life, and the person around the globe's life. And of course, that's going to only fuel anxiety. We could look at what's happened over the last century and a half and realize more people have died over the last hundred years than all of human history up to that point combined. So yes, there's a lot that speaks to our anxiety. But the purpose of this sermon is not to examine the cultural factors related to anxiety. They are to examine the spiritual ones. And there's two reasons I think Jesus wants to talk to us about anxiety this morning. And first relates to the, to the Sermon on the Mount itself. You know, nothing kills kingdom focus. Nothing kills kingdom alignment. Nothing kills wholeheartedness quite like anxiety. I mean, let's be honest. Anxiety is like a disease. It is a plague. It, whatever it touches, it just gobbles up and eats up like a physical disease. It can come to permeate everything. Jesus knows this. This is why he wants to address it. Anxiety can be the great enemy of gospel kingdom effectiveness, whether that's in sharing your faith or being a good mother or father, um, being a good student, um, honoring God in your relationships. Anxiety can be a great debilitator. But there's a second reason, and, and I want us to all to hear this this morning. We joke about anxiety, but, and we're going to joke some more about anxiety, but we know for so many of us, anxiety is no laughing matter. Some of you sincerely find yourself gripped with some sort of anxiety this morning whether that's biological, trauma, worries about money, relationships, marriages, people, health. There might be things going on inside your body right now that are worrying you sick. And what Jesus wants us to know as he comes to this very sensitive topic is that he loves you. He loves you. He comes to you not this morning as judge, but as a father, God's Jesus's father through his son wants to communicate to us who he is, what he has promised, that he is for us, that he sees us, that he knows us, that he loves us, and he wants to meet us where we are. He doesn't want us to stay here. But he's come down in the garb of humanity and laid his life down on a cross and said, now I want to show you a better way. And so that's where we're heading this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. And I'm going to invite you to stand if you can do that. And we're going to read God's word together this morning. Why do we stand? It's, it's not ceremonial. It's not just for show. It's, it's a reminder that God's word stands over all the problems of our life. 
particularly this morning, the problem of anxiety. So Matthew 6, verse 25, Jesus is speaking. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day, it's its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, as your people, we're coming to you full of worry, anxiety, angst about things known and unknown. And Lord, we're just asking as your people that you would help us you would show us a better way, you would deepen our trust of you, that you would make us more effectual for your kingdom, and that you would pour your grace out upon a suffering people. Lord, help us now. We commit this time to you. Amen. You may take your seats. I've entitled this message, Our Collective Anxiety. I thought about entitling it, hello, my name is Paul, and I'm an anxious person. I really did think about doing that. Because after all, 70% of you say you're anxious. The other 30% are lying. And there is no question there is a propensity in our culture to take whatever, whatever malady that we are struggling with, whether it's anger, anxiety, substance abuse, pornography, just anything that we struggle with, And we're prone to want to make that our identity. I'm an alcoholic, or I'm bipolar, or I'm gay, or even I'm anxious. And let me say, I think that is a mistake. Our identity and status, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that you belong to him. You are a Christian That is your fundamental identity. And as a Christian, guess what? We happen to struggle with a lot of things. We are Christians who struggle with substance abuse. We are Christians who struggle with sexual lust and attraction. We are Christians who struggle with a whole host of maladies. And we are Christians who struggle with anxiety. And Jesus wants to help us this morning. So here's where we're going in our text four things we want to look at. First of all, we're going to talk about the what, uh, and all this relates to anxiety, and let me say it this way, anxiety, what it is, where it comes from, why it doesn't work, 
and how we're to fix it. So there it is, anxiety, what it is, where it come from, why it doesn't work, how we're to fix it. So let's dig in, verse, look right at verse 25. Let's talk about the what of anxiety. It's super important that we get sort of definitional clarity because in our culture, all sorts of things can be heaped under this giant category of anxiety. And we want to understand what Jesus is speaking about. Look at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. There's the word about your life. Jesus uses that multiple times. The Greek word for anxiety in this case means to give care or thought to. But more specifically, it's something that divides or separates. In other words, at its core, the anxious mind is a divided mind. It's a distracted mind. It's a mind that's not functioning as an integrated whole. It's having multiple, shall we say, conversations with itself at the same time. You, you know what I'm saying, right? You're talking to someone and there's two conversations happening. There's the conversation, this has never happened pastorally, just promise, okay. There's a conversation that's happening here and then there's the conversation that's happening inside your head, right? And these can range, I mean, these can be humorous, right? Like dads, you're, you're, you're being honored today and given that cologne, you're being regifted it for the third year in a row and you're wondering who is winning the U.S. Open, right? And you're, have, and you're kind of doing the two dual things. You're, you're split. You're, di you're divided. It's, it's humorous, but, it, but we know, guys, it's much more serious, right? You can't go to work. You, it's hard for you to pay attention in school because you were so worried, consumed with anxiety about your marriage or your kids or about your financial situation or maybe your health. The things that we can be anxious about are legion. And, and by the way, studies have shown this. It's not that the less you have, the more anxious you are. It's the more you have, the, the more anxious you are. Why is that? Because there's more things to worry about. It just makes sense. And the things we're anxious about are legion. And Jesus knows this. And here's what he says. Look back at the text. He says, don't be anxious about, and here's what he says, your life. That's sort of the, the headliner word that sort of encompasses everything about who we are in this reality on planet Earth. What we eat, what we drink, what we wear. And of course, those are just metaphors. They're a fancy way of saying everything about your person, everything about your life and what it means to live life. So when you eat, it's not just your food, right? But it's the money that provides the food and the job that provides the money and the money that buys the house. With drink, it's not just water, but everything needed for your sustenance, for your emotional, relational, recreational health. It's not just your body in terms of your clothes, but it's your medical health. It's your security. It's your safety. All of those things are in view here. And Jesus has in mind anything that contributes to our double-mindedness that unnecessarily distracts us from God's call for us to be on mission and pressing into the priorities of our life. Anxiety derails all of that. And this is why Jesus wants to address it. Now, 
interestingly, that word for anxiety, miramanao, it's the same one we find in a couple of other passages. And I want you to notice how it's used differently there. And then I'm going to talk about the different kinds of anxiety. So look at 1 Corinthians 12. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care, that's the word, for one another, the same anxiety. Paul, Paul's saying in that case, anxiety, if you, for lack of better terms, is a, is a good thing when it's expressed as a godly care for someone. Look at Philippians 2.20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare or anxious for your welfare. Same word, care, concern, anxiety. But they're used positively here, negatively, in Matthew chapter 6. So how can you discern, quote-unquote, what a good anxiety and a bad anxiety look like? Which, which is which? How do you tell the difference? Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, We are never to take so much thought about these things or to be so concerned about them as to allow them to dominate our life or limit our usefulness in the present. That is the point at which we cross the line from reasonable thought and care to anxious care and worry. Now, let me say this. I know just by even raising this issue, some of you are already getting anxious. You're getting anxious about your anxiety. You're wondering, oh gosh, Pastor Paul, I don't know. Is it a legitimate anxiety? Is it not a legitimate anxiety? I mean, you're, you're doing that thing right now. And the reason I know that is that what, that's what I was doing as I was preparing this sermon, right? A lot of this has to do with our, our, our lack of definitional focus. And I, I want to zero in here on the where anxiety comes from to help us understand what Jesus is speaking explicitly about. So, so, so go back to the text, where anxiety comes from. Verse 30, Jesus says, as sort of a summary statement to those who he's speaking to, O you of little faith. And I think what Jesus is signaling to us here is that he is concerned here with what we might call spiritual anxiety. The kind of anxiety or worry that is ultimately rooted in a deficient lack of trust in God. An anxiety that is fueled by the faulty belief that by being consumed with worry, you will able, by your worry, to be actually able to change the outcome of something. How's that working for you, right? Now, I say all that to say, and, and I feel like because of our cultural moment, I, I need to say a few things about this. Not all anxiety is created equal. There are many different kinds of what we would call, maybe Jesus wouldn't call them anxiety, but what we might call anxiety that are, that are less about trusting in God and something that relates more broadly to something like biology or trauma, or abuse. And let, let, me, let me give you a couple of examples. 
there's a combat veteran who goes off and fights or has fought in Afghanistan or Iraq, and he's been exposed to horrific things and comes back and is struggling greatly with PTSD, and he is having or she is having panic attacks when they hear loud noises. Okay, is, 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 what Jesus is, tell, is what Jesus is saying to say, you know what? Your panic attack right now is really sinful. Stop it. First of all, does that work? No, of course not, right? Because it's not a spiritual issue at its core <clears throat> at that moment. Or you might be a, a, a victim of some sort of abuse or trauma in your background, and you are put in a similar situation, and all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of a bout of great panic or anxiety. Or maybe you're just hanging out, minding your own business, watching the U.S. Open today, and all of a sudden your heart starts racing, your blood pressure is elevated, and you're wondering what is going on because there's some sort of physiological, biological Thing that's at the root of that. All of those things are things that we might call anxiety that don't necessarily get to the heart of what Jesus is talking about. Listen to this quote by Winnicott. He says, tell me what you fear or tell me what you're anxious about and I will tell you what has happened to you. Because that's so true. You tell me what you fear, I tell you what I fear. I tell you what I'm anxious about, you tell me what I'm anxious about, that will tell a whole story, won't it? About our past and our backgrounds and all of these things come to bear. And, and the problem is that when we group all of these kinds of anxieties that I just mentioned together and we treat them as if they are the same thing, we unnecessarily hurt people. Because all anxiety is not the same. And Let's be honest, this can get complicated, right? Sometimes it's hard to know what is spiritual and what is medical or biological or trauma-based. It's kind of like getting that cake after it comes out of the oven. And I tell you, why don't you separate all the ingredients out for me, right? The eggs and the water and the sugar and the flour and all that stuff. Well, of course you know that's impossible. Let's be honest, that's sometimes that's what it's like trying to sift through our anxiety. So where do we begin? I want us to go back to verse 30 for a second. Because I, because I want to say something out of the other side of my mouth. Now that you've heard that very strong caveat, right? You've heard that, those boundaries, those parameters. We can be very hurtful when we're not discerning about these things. While all anxiety is not 100% spiritual, I would venture to say that all anxiety has some sort of spiritual component. If not in the anxiety itself, certainly in the way that we respond to our anxiety. Let me give you an example. Last summer when we took this Reformation trip to, to Germany and I did all of this reading on Martin Luther, who, you, for all the things you could say about Martin Luther, he was one anxious dude, right? I mean, in today's 
psychological culture, he would be deemed to have obsessive compulsive personality disorder, right? Inordinate amounts of anxiety. He was, he was always feeling guilty about something. And when he wasn't feeling guilty about something, he was feeling guilty about not feeling guilty. And, and clinicians call this scrupulosity, right? It really is a, is a, it, it really is a disorder that where the mind fixates on, did I do the right thing? Did I not do the right thing? And so, or the wrong thing. And so we went into this room where all the brothers in the monastery would get together and they would confess their sins. We were in the actual room at the university there in Erfurt. And what was interesting, you could imagine all these brothers are there and they're confessing their sins and Martin's friend goes and he shares for 10 minutes. And the guy next to Martin's friend shares for five minutes and they're burying their soul. And when it's Martin's turn, roll out the cots because my brother goes six hours, right? Regularly. He is just, the, he's just an anxiety machine that's producing all sorts of things. Now, in our day and age, right, Brother Martin would have benefited from some Prozac. Let's just be honest for a second. Brother Martin needs some help. He was having some anxiety attacks and disorders. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't a spiritual component to this. Because do you know what one of the, the things that was most helpful for Martin, who was, by the way, anxious his whole life. I find great encouragement in that. But what was one of the things that was most helpful to, to Martin, and this sounds like pastor speak, but it's not, was he came to understand justification by faith. And he came to understand that it's not what I've done it's what Jesus has done for me. And as he began to sort through all the sins in his life, realizing that even if they were all true, Jesus had died for him. Now, that didn't take away all his anxiety, but it gutted it. It, 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 took, it took its feet out from under it because he was now equipped and versed in the word of God. And I would simply say, whatever anxiety there is this morning, don't make the mistake of thinking that the scriptures do not in some way speak to this. They do very powerfully. Even if you are someone who has panic attacks and you don't understand why and you can't seem to make them stop, there is a path that God calls us to called the church, called the community. See, there's some things that we are so anxious about that we don't dare breathe them. We, we keep them under wraps. We want to hide them. We want to not talk about them. We want to handle it in ourselves. And as we know with anxiety, that works perfectly every time, doesn't it? No, no. It's like the more you hide anxiety, the more anxious you become. And so for some of us, that means simply maybe talking to our pastor, talking to our elder, talking to our community rooter, talking to our friend and saying, brother, sister, I want to invite you into this struggle that I'm having. Some of you probably need real discernment. To understand what, what part of this struggle is spiritual, what part is medical, how, how do I need to address it? Guys, sometimes 
This is to even further confuse you, right? Anxiety can be good. Some of you might be anxious about your sin. Some of you might be anxious about a path that you're pursuing that's causing all sorts of anxiety, quote unquote, and what you're really experiencing is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So do you see how these things work? Jesus's invitation to us is to come to him, is to bring these things to him by bringing them to one another. And it is this that Jesus holds up to us to say, while not all of our anxiety is 100% spiritual, some of it is, a lot of it might be, and all of it has some sort of spiritual component. And so Jesus here is inviting us in to understand something about the nature of God. So let's go to our third point, the why of anxiety. Why is anxiety nonsensical? And Jesus first points us to this rather obvious reality. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? In other words, we don't possess magical thinking. We just don't think something and then it is. No one has ever been able to translate or transform worry or anxiety to pixie dust, right? It's nonsensical experientially. If you think about anxiety just for a second, it really is nonsensical. Because what we're saying is, what we really think deep down is that if I think long enough about this, if I think hard enough, if I really focus on this, if I'm really so consumed with, then, then, then somehow this is going to change the outcome, right? And Jesus simply says, nonsense. Okay, look back at verse 31. He says, don't be anxious and listen for the reason he gives. This is, this is why anxiety is so nonsensical. He says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, why is he talking about the Gentiles there? What distinguished the Jewish people from all other world religions in the Roman Empire at that point is that they believed in a singular God who was in absolute control, who took care of every need in their lives, and who had promised to prosper them and flourish them, not just materially, but to take care of all their needs. I want you to compare that to the ancient mindset of the ancient world as represented by the Gentiles or the non-Jews. And let me just simply say, when it came to life, life was a free-for-all, right? There were two kind of dominant modes of thought. There was this idea of fatalism. In other words, nothing we can do whatever it is, is our destinies are fixed by fate or some other thing, and there's nothing you can do about it. On the other hand, and this was no better, was just this idea of just, well, actually life is not about fate. It's just random. You can't predict it. It just comes and goes. It's, it's random on every level. 
And so when you don't have anything solid, when you don't have any sort of framework, when you don't have anything to sort of plant your flag on, what was left for the Gentiles to do when it came to their life? What, what was left? Worry. That's all they had. All they had was that was under their control was their worry or concern about those things. They had no, listen, they had no other resources. There was nothing else for them to draw from. There was no great body of truth. There was no singular God. There was no promises from God's word. This was just all there was. And because they had nothing, no other resources, they, they defaulted to worry. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's putting his finger on the root of all of our anxiety. If you want to boil all of our anxiety down to its most coarse base level, I think you could say this. Anxiety is rooted in our human inability to exert absolute control over our lives. See, that's what we all really want, right? I want predictability, Pastor Paul. I want control. I, I, I want life to follow this particular kind of equation and predictability. I want there to be a, a, a pathway where I know what's coming next, which explains why when life doesn't work like that, that we feel anxious because we want to control something, please understand, that is uncontrollable. And God wants to remind us, church, in this passage, that he is the only one who is in control. He is sovereign. He is the creator. He's the giver of life. He knows what we need. Now, why does, why does Jesus bring up these examples of the birds and the flowers? And it's, it's really an, an argument of lesser to the greater. And it tells us something important. He says, as God provides for the birds, okay, of course he's going to provide for you. So let me say, stop right there just for a second. Let me tell you what's, what, what this is not saying. Jesus is not saying that you shouldn't plan or that you shouldn't give thought to what you're doing or that you shouldn't be wise because after all, the, bir the, the bird's nests don't build themselves, right? God's given the capacity for the birds to build their nests. God has given us capacity, and remind your, your, your teenagers about this, that they can work, right? That that's allowed. That you can actually go to work and make money and pay for things that your parents aren't going to pay for. That, that, that's a good thing, right? And so when Jesus has this exhortation not to worry or to not to be anxious, he's not saying just do whatever, okay? What he's simply saying is that exercise the God-chosen means of grace that he has given us to work, to plan, to be wise, and listen, to leave the results to him, to entrust it to him. Let me just ask you a question this morning. What's consumed you this season? M maybe it's a physical need. Maybe it's a relational need. Maybe it's something that you are just horrified if you knew that someone else would know what's going through your brain. 
Maybe your life in this season has been just the case book, case, case book textbook study of double-mindedness. That worry has infected and taken hold of you. And God wants to remind you of something, a couple of things. Number one, he is your father. He's your father. That means that he loves you. He cares for you. He wants to meet you in that place. And as he does, he wants to remind you of something, which is simply this, that life that, that you're so worried about, Christian, Jesus says, God says, I gave you that life. You weren't in control of your own birth. You're not in control of your own life. That belongs to me. You know, some of us, if I can venture to say this, just need to repent of trying to be God. Trying to be God in our kids' lives, trying to be God's with our bodies, trying to be God with um, our marriage, trying to, uh, trying, trying to fix everything because we think that's under our control. Guys, let me just say, control is an illusion. And as we come to that place of realizing that and in, in understanding who God is, then we have a pathway forward, which brings us to our last point, the how of anxiety. The how of anxiety. Three times in this passage, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Literally, it means take no thought. Now, now here's the challenge. If I tell you, I don't want you to think about something. I don't want you to think about, let's just pink elephants, right? What, what are you going to think about? Pink elephants, right? And, and, it's, and sometimes the harder you try not to think about something, you can't help but think about it. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying just shut yourself off. You hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking about take no thought to the cares of your life, but instead take care to this. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying what we're wanting to do here is to swap one mindset for another mindset. Instead of being consumed with worry about your life, here's something Jesus is saying, I want you to be consumed with. Be consumed with my kingdom. Be consumed with pursuing wholehearted righteousness in your relationships. That word seek, it means to intensely or earnestly live for, to make it your priority to find. And remember, this idea of God's kingdom and righteousness, it's really the theme all of Matthew. And, and sometimes what this means is not shutting yourself off anesthetically to all things that cause anxiety. That's impossible. That's impossible. What it means is setting down as a giant template overlay over all of your anxiety, this idea that God is building his kingdom. 
There's something bigger at stake here than simply what's happening in my world. God is doing immeasurably more than we can ever hope or imagine. What's, what's this sickness that has infected my body right now that I'm consumed with worry about? God says, don't you know, Christian, where's your faith? I prepared an eternal weight of glory for you. This, the, the end of this life is not the end of life. It's just the beginning. I've gone to prepare a place for you. This is called having a kingdom mindset. God, what are you doing in this area? God, what are you doing in this area? And Jesus says, leave that to me. I gave you life. I'm in control of life. I'm accomplishing all of these things for your own good, for the good of your soul. Now, you just pursue wholeheartedness. Now, you just pursue righteousness. Don't take on the, the challenge of tomorrow. Believe me, tomorrow will have enough challenges. What does God require of you today? To live justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly before him. And you may say, Pastor Paul, that, that's, that's a tall task. I don't know if I can do that. And Jesus says, I know that you can't do that. That's why I came. That's why I came not just to give you a teaching about anxiety, but to lay my life down for your anxiety. In fact, I've taken all of your anxiety upon me and I have gone to the cross. And because of that, Four Oaks, Paul, uh, Jesus says, now you can translate all of your anxieties into prayer towards me. It's not that the worries or anxieties of life go away but it's now that they can occupy their proper place. Isn't it interesting, as you've heard me say the last few weeks as we've been teaching through the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's, the, it's the peak of the mountain of the Sermon on the Mount. That the pathway to righteousness, wholeheartedness, goes through communion with God, goes through prayer, and no less with anxiety. Or shall I say it this way, particularly with anxiety. What does Paul say, Philippians 4? You know it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because how are we different than the Gentiles? It's not just that we know something, we do. But most importantly is that we know someone. His name is Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's because of him that Paul makes this promise to us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know, sometimes letting go of anxiety just means remembering what is the thing that I need the most? What I need the most has been given to me in spades. 
and his name is Jesus Christ. He has purchased eternal life for me. He has cleansed me from all my sins. He has gone to prepare a place for me. And because of that, I can trust him. I'm going to invite you to, to spend a moment with your heads bowed, asking God to prepare your hearts as we come to the table this morning.